Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building, which is actually hashtag Divine Color Wall. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's Pastor Michael Petit. All right, let's go ahead and, and um, go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1. Through 14, that's where we're going to be at tonight. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. I entitled this Discouraged, Despised, but Don't Quit. Remember the Lord and Fight. Discouraged, Despised, but Don't Quit. Remember the Lord and Fight. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for tonight. We do pray for uh, this, this uh, portion of scripture that we're going to go over. We ask that you help us to learn it to live it, apply it in our lives, Lord, to understand that the enemy uh, does come and um, has, does want to steal, kill, and destroy, and we're supposed to fight, understanding that you are great and awesome, that you have power, and that we should be led by the Holy Spirit. And And I just pray that for each of us, Lord. Whatever anybody's going through, Father God, you know exactly uh, that, and I pray that you would uh, be with them. Uh, allow them to lay that down so they can uh, be in your word at this moment. And we just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and be seated. Uh, we're, we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 4 and just a quick kind of overview of where we're at. We left off uh, there. It's going to only take them about 52 days to build the wall uh, and it'll be finished. Uh, but we know that the enemy shows up early on, but Chapter 3 was this wonderful verse of unity uh, that you see just the whole city coming together uh, to do the work of the Lord. And, and we saw uh, not construction workers, but we saw perfumers and goldsmiths and daughters and priests and out-of-towners all coming together to do God's work. But now, as we turn into chapter 4, what we see is uh, the enemy that uh, shows back up uh, to hopefully stop the work. And so, um, as, as we look at this, I think one of the biggest things that we need to understand is, is to understand uh, that the enemy is real. Uh, I, I, for some odd reason, I'm not sure why Christians are, are struggling with that, but I was reading a Barner survey uh, that was done, and it, and it said that, that um, over 40%, 4 out of 10 Christians, strongly agreed that Satan is not a living being but a symbol of evil. And, and, and if you read scripture, I, I just don't understand how we get that confused. Because I think that's part of the reason why Christians struggle is because they don't understand that there's a war, there's a battle that's going on around us, and that the, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, and Satan is real. And, and I started thinking to myself, why, why did we, or what caused us to, to get to the point to, to just think of it as a force of evil? And, and I remember, you know, as a kid watching cartoons, either Bugs Bunny or 
Daffy Duck or, or, or even, uh, you know, when you think about Disney's Emperor with the new groove, they would have, Kronk would have and Daffy Duck would have a, a angel on one side and a devil in tights with a pitchfork on the other side. And and they were just they would just make fun of it and and then I started thinking about movies how they introduce certain things uh, to um, uh, into make it seem normal as if the devil is you know uh, just this great person to hang out with and and unfortunately four out of ten Christians believe that it's you know he's just a force an evil force and that's wrong if we look at Genesis chapter three verse one it says now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field uh, that the Lord God had made. He had, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And so who tempted Jesus? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Right? The devil. Uh, Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, and, and he said uh, to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, which is a reference to the judgment of Satan. What was Satan doing? Satan was lobbying back and forth to the angels, promising them, hey, when I have power, you'll have more power than you have now, and, and telling them what they would want to hear. And as he fell, the angels that fell with him came to earth. And, and so this judgment of Satan is actually when he rebelled against God. It's in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. And not only does it affirm the pre-existence of Jesus, but it also uh, involves the, the judgment of Satan and, and also gives us insight to how the devil was sentenced. Does the, does the devil have power over hell? No. He has power on earth. Is the devil, you know, all-knowing, all-powerful? No. Uh, he was created by God. Uh, we, we see in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that the ancient serpent who called the devil and Satan the deceiver of the whole world, and he was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And, and so one thing that we also see and we know is that, that it tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, Paul tells, tells us, or Peter tells us, uh, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to uh, someone to devour. And the study, uh, you know, in that Barner Group study, which was really sad, is, is it, uh, 30 years ago, 73% of Americans actually believed that God was all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, perfect, just the, the creator of the universe who still rules the world today. And when they did the survey just recently, um, what they asked was, is over 56% of Americans actually believe that Satan is not merely a symbol of evil, but is a real spiritual being and influences human lives. So not only do we see that Christians are struggling with, right, the, they're struggling with it, but people in America are saying, no, Satan's real. 56% of them. And out of that 30%, you know, out of those 30 years, that 73% has dropped down and and to 49% of people who actually believe in God. So we have actually right now in America, we have more people that believe in, in the existence, uh, the, they believe in the existence of Satan more than they believe in their own God. 
and and that's really sad. It's it's really something to be uh, mindful of, and 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 that's why it tells us in Judges two ten. And all the generations and all also were gathered to the fathers and arose another, the generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. We have a generation that is possibly going to know more about Satan than they will about God. And that's, that speaks to our culture. And it's a sharp warning to us we need to take very seriously. You know, what are we training our children and, and what we're going to see here in Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 1 through 14 is we're going to see a man of God, a man of God, depend on God when he's surrounded by the enemy. And in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1, it says, Now when Samballot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said... And in the presence of his brothers and of, his, of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn the ones at, at it? At that, and Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Now we see Sam Ballad and Tobiah are back, right? The two that were back in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10, remember them. The enemy was present as soon as Nehemiah comes on the scene. And now the walls are being built and, and they're back and they're not happy. It's been said that, that uh, as some commentaries believe or some of the people who wrote commentary actually believe that, that Sam Ballad and Tobiah was actually skimming money from Arxerxes, the king. So they're losing finances. But we see back in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10, it says, But when Samballot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. And then in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 19, it says, But when Samballot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, the servant of Geshem and the Arab, so now they got somebody else, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So they gave a false accusation right off the bat. Right? Right off the bat, the enemy falsely accuses Nehemiah of insurrection against the king. And then Nehemiah responded back in, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. Then he replied, the God of heaven will make us prosper and, and we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or claim, or, or right, our claim in Jerusalem. And we see when he says he jeered, that's what, he, that's what the devil does is he desires to mock and discourage you, right? And Sam Ballot said he was greatly enraged. He was angry. And he said, in the presence of his brothers of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Right? Feeble. He, he's, he's making fun of them. He's ridiculing them. Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? He's making fun of them. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Right? Right? Feeble Jews. 
You know, when somebody starts mocking you or ridiculing you, you need to recognize right off the bat that is the language of the devil. That's the language of the devil. You don't need to get back in the mud with them. There's a lot of ridicule and mocking that happens on these things, right? Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, TikTok. Everybody's got an opinion now. And, and, and what we do is we ridicule and mock people. And I don't care if you're left, right. I don't care if you're masked or non-masked. I don't care if you're COVID, vaccine or non-vaccine. Everybody's got an opinion. And sometimes when people try to share their opinion, they get mocked and ridiculed. Whether it goes either way. I even had a, a, a friend uh, that, that sent me something today that showed me one of the Christian hip-hop artists that actually mocked and ridiculed the decision that was made in Minneapolis. Ugly. Ugly. And then as people said, hey, you know what? We wanted justice, but we, we, you don't need to make a comment like that because it's almost like you're gloating. And what he ended up doing was then this ridicule and mocking you see almost a hundred comments, people attacking each other. And you don't think the enemy's happy with that because that is the language of the devil to sit and argue and, and mock somebody and ridicule them. That's what the devil does. Put the phone away for a little bit. If you're, in, if you're, if you're angry, if you're, if, you're, if you're in that place where you're, you need to make fun of somebody, you need to put the phone away. And you need to get right, get right with God. Because that's what the devil wants. And that's what we have to start realizing as Christians. Is we're, we, we, we cannot, we need to have the language of grace. Right? The language of grace and love and mercy and truth. Not the language of the devil, which is ridicule and mocking and despising and discouragement. But you need to understand that there's a battle that's happening around us. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't, don't put on the armor of God every day. I, I wonder how many would even be able to tell you what the armor of God is. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of who? The devil. You know what? It's, it's spiritual warfare, guys and gals. It is spiritual warfare. There is a conflict in a realm that happens around us that we do not see and do not understand. There's a battle that's happening between good and evil. And he's telling you to put on the armor of God, the whole armor of God. The daily problems that we face are rooted right there in that battle. And that's why he says right there, he says, you feeble Jews. And, and, and feeble meaning lack of strength, you weak Jews. Let me tell you something. I am weak, but my Lord is strong. We need to remember that. I'm weak. I'm feeble. The moment that I think I'm something else, that's when the devil's going to use me. 
I, I want to be weak, feeble, and humble. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 and 12, it says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clays to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Not us. I want you to get this. And, and, and Christian, you need to understand this. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're uh, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Christ, so that the life of Christ, uh, the life of Jesus, may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always uh, been given over to death for the Jesus' sake, so that that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. He's telling you, look, you're going to be afflicted, but you're not going to be crushed. He told us we were going to be going through trials and tribulations. That's part of, of, (laughs) it doesn't matter if you're a follower of Christ or not. You're going to go through those things. But you have God. You're persecuted but not forsaken. You're perplexed but not despaired. See, we need to remember that God is the one that we depend on, that we are feeble, we are weak, that we need Jesus. He's the one that gives us strength. So when the devil comes with his his schemes, we have God. We're prepared. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, it says, So... Uh, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. This is Paul speaking. To keep me from what? Becoming conceited. And you go, wait a minute, man. This is God's servant. Nehemiah is God's servant. Nehemiah is doing God's work. Why would God allow this to happen? You know what happens? The testing of our faith. What happens? The maturity, the growth that should happen. Right? This is all what we go through as, as followers of Christ that we are, are, are going to be facing the schemes of the devil. But we have the whole armor of God. And within that, you know, it's like the, the, when, when the gold goes through the fire, it removes all the impurities. And it, it, it prepares us and, and, and it gets run through again and again. And, and Paul is saying, hey, it, this messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from what? Being conceited. Because who gets the glory? God. It says in, in verse 8 in 2 Corinthians 12, it says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. But he said, my, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, anybody who deals with something on a daily basis, whether it's an illness, or whatever it is, you, you, you cry out to the Lord at times. And this verse is always there. It reminds me, you know, I would be long gone 
if I didn't have the illness that I have. And I just read this and I go, you know what? His, his grace is sufficient for me as well. For my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. So Jesus is saying, look, it's made perfect in the weakness. And then therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. So you feeble Jews, hey, I'll boast more gladly in being feeble and weak so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see that? Paul's saying, hey, look, in, in with, I'm content whether it, I'm in weakness, I'm content whether they're insulting me, I'm content whether I'm in hardship, I'm content whether there's persecution, I'm content even in the calamities. And this guy had went through shipwrecks. And he says, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And that's where God works. As followers of Christ, we, we need to have a heart of a dove, but the skin of a rhinoceros while serving the Lord. Do you get that? You need to have a heart of a dove, but the skin of a rhinoceros. You're going to go through stuff as a believer, as a follower of Christ. And in that weakness, God will shine through. That's how it should be. We need to understand we can't do it on our own. And that's why, you know, you need to be prepared that you are going to be insulted. And you are going to go through hardships. You know why? You do not fit this culture right now. They make fun of you. All you Christians. You Walmart shopping. Believe in anything. A book that, that's old and has passed its time. Ignorant. Christian. And we know the book is without error. We know that we are God's children. You know what? Call me whatever you want. Because at the end of the day, I belong to the Lord. I'll be bold for the Lord. So that feeble, when he's saying these things that, that, that Sam Ballot's saying, he, he's trying to mock them and ridicule them. And then Tobiah comes in, and he decides, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in too. And this is what happens. The enemy loves to get multiple people talking about stuff and, and mocking and making fun, right? Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3, it says, And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, that, that they are building, uh, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Tobiah chimes in. He figures, hey, uh, Sam Ballot's mocking him. I'm going to mock him too. I'm going to ridicule them too. Do you realize they actually did, when they looked at, at, at when they did the, uh, the archaeology, the biblical archaeology excavation that was done on this wall was actually nine foot thick. So it's halfway done and it's nine foot thick. That's, it, it, it doesn't make any sense that a fox could knock it over. But you see what he's doing? He's trying to bait them. To, 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 and that's what happens online, right? He's trying to bait you. That's what the enemy does online. He's trying to get you to fall 
and, and or, or either have somebody mock you at work or mock, mock you at school. You know, we just heard this verse as we came in, and I love it because it reminds me too that, you know, as we look at Paul, Paul had to go through hardships and, and, and he had to put up with that thing that, that, that God allowed from Satan. But it says, and God allowed Jesus to go through temptation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But the temptation, he will always... He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He's saying, hey, whatever you're going through, it's, it's not beyond your ability. It's, it's the testing of your faith. It's, it's to help you grow. And you may, you may stumble in it, and, and, but you learn from it. You grow from it. Tobias just given sarcasm. The same way that, that the, uh, Goliath did in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 41 through 47. We'll just look at a couple verses here. In 43, in 1 Samuel uh, 17, verse 40, uh, 43, it says, And the Philistines said to David, I am a dog that you come to me with sticks. I'm a dog, you come to me with sticks. He's talking about the, uh, the Israelites. And he says, And the Philistine cursed David by his God. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give you the flesh, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. He's like, Look, you come to me with all these weapons of war, and you know what I brought? God. I brought I brought God, right? And I, and I love what David says in, in, uh, in verse 47, uh, in 1 Samuel 17, verse 47, it says, and, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and the spear for the battle, and this is something that you need to remember if you're in the storm right now, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. It's the Lord's battle. That's why that beautiful song is, I'm surrounded by you, Lord. Like, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. The battle is in, the battle is the Lord's, right? The battle is the Lord's. And, and you know what? They're, they're looking at this and, and they think, well, there's no obstacle too large. There's no circumstance too menacing. When you realize that God is sovereign over all, you have to remember that. That's why being in the word is so important. The enemy could care less when the ruin was in rubble, right? The enemy didn't care. But as soon as Nehemiah decided, hey, I'm going to go, the enemy started trying to put obstacles there. And, and, and that's the same thing for us. The enemy doesn't care if you sit in church on Sunday and do nothing. And your life never changes. The enemy don't care about you. You're not a threat. Let me just put it point blank. You come and you sit and you never do anything but just come to service and go. And your life is still 
You can't, and you have people ask that question, well, are they a believer or not a believer? I don't, I don't know. Enemy doesn't, he's not worried about you. He's worried about the Nehemiahs. He's worried about the Davids. That's who he's worried about. He's worried about the Pauls. And we need more of those men, like our, our women like Ruth. We need that in this day, in this age. Because see, that's when the enemy gets focused on trying to attack you. Is when you're doing the work of the Lord. The moment that you put your hands to the plow and you're, you're moving forward and doing the work of the Lord, the enemy's ready to attack. But we know in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. In the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil. Uh, withstand in the, in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And he tells you, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness ha and as the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness to give, given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And so when we're getting ridiculed, when people are coming at us, we have the shield of faith. What, we're, we're protected. We have the whole armor of God. And we need the sword, the, the word. The sword of God is, 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 is something that we need as well. And, and, and that's one of the things I, I think that... that is, you know, there are going to be two things that we, we, we talk about tonight that we see are being neglected. One being the Word of God, the other prayer. Our two most valuable weapons that we have. We have the Holy Spirit, we have prayer, we have the Word, and we, we, we don't use them. You need to be connected to the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he tells you, and he says, and, and take, in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's not a physical battle. The battle's here. You need to stop the temptation here. And you do that with the Word of God. See, we, we, the, something my son sent me this week, and I loved it. it was, it's talking about a biblical worldview. So many, I think they were saying, if you're under the age of 30, if I remember right, 96% of, of, of followers of Christ do not have a biblical worldview. Only 4% do. What is that biblical worldview? We actually look through the lens of Scripture and we allow that to control our day. We, we need that biblical worldview. It's, it's that sword that actually helps us make the right decisions. When we have temptations, it helps us deal with the temptations so we don't fall into sin. So when someone's ridiculing us or mocking us, we don't chime back at them. And let me tell you, that's hard today. 
Because you have this thing right here. It's like a loaded weapon. Every time you pick it up, you're ready to ridicule. You're ready to mock. You're ready to despise. And you can get away with it. Because you don't even have to be you. You can be somebody else. You control. And say all the little things you want to say. But God knows. And for us, we need to have that biblical worldview. Some of you, your swords are dull, rusty. You haven't sharpened them in a while. Some of you can't even find your weapon. We used to have the drill sergeant do that all the time. Guys would leave their, their, their M16s unattended. Man, you're, you're, you have, this is, as much as this can be done for evil, a lot of stuff for God can be done on this thing. You have multiple types of, you can get the ESV, you can get the New King James, you can, I mean the NLT, you can, you can get commentary from Tony Evans, you can get commentary from Warren Warsby, you have everything, Adrian Rogers, you have everything you need, but you can't find your weapon. How are you looking through the lens of the world? Is it through, you looking at it through the culture? In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, this is very important because Nehemiah, Nehemiah was someone who's going to go to God right off the bat as soon as this, this ridicule starts, right? But that's how we should be too. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you, uh, by the testing you may discern what is the, the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how do you do that? To have a biblical worldview. So if the world controls your thinking, you're being conformed to the world. Okay? If the culture and the world controls your thinking, you're being conformed to the world. But if the Word of God, the Bible, is controlling your thinking, you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that the testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what it does. It transforms you. And that's, that's kind of a, a take on what Warren Worsby said. The sword is one of the most unused weapons. What's the other one? Prayer. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Hear, O God, because he goes straight to prayer. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let their sin be blot not be blotted out or let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And this is a, a crazy prayer. This is an invoking prayer, right? He's in trying to invoke evil. It's a retaliatory prayer. We've seen this in, in, by David in, in Psalm 58.6. And David said, Oh God, break their teeth in their mouths. Tear out their fangs of the young lions, O oh Lord. Right? That's a bold prayer. I think, man, that's what's missing in the church today is people boldly praying for God to do the work that needs to be done in the United States. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, the other part of the armor, it says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He's saying, hey, you need to be praying. That enables that Christian soldier to wear the armor. It's that prayer. And it allows us to wield the sword. No matter how, how talented you are, no matter what kind of strength you think you have, you can't fight the battle without being connected to the Holy Spirit and being in prayer. And we need to be in prayer. David, David was a man that, that pleaded to God to, to bring judgment on people. But Jesus gives us the example how we're supposed to pray. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, it says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I love that. Do you reflect the character of your Father in heaven? Like, how do you pray? Do you have that, that, that hey, you know what? They're, they're hurting, right? They need God. They need Jesus. Let me pray that the Lord will soften their heart. Uh, you know, they're, they're very critical and, and, and being ugly. Let me pray that God will, God will help them see who He is. It's frustrating because the enemy wants you to get frustrated. The enemy wants you to give up and stop praying. But he says in verse Ephesians 6, 18, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit. Christians have been called to go, not to go it alone, but to to be in prayer together. Praying for all the saints, right? Making supplication for not me, but for all the saints. We can't go it alone. When you're surrounded the way that Nehemiah and them are going to be surrounded, you need prayer. You need prayer. To know that God is there, but you have to go to Him in prayer. That's the same, that's what I love about Nehemiah, a man of God. The first thing he does is let's pray. And you may go, man, that's kind of a, a bold prayer. But he was a man of prayer. But he, you know, he was also, remember, he was a man that was knowledgeable of God's Word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, We destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion is raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. You have God's word. You have prayer. Man, it'll, it'll, it'll defeat any stronghold that's going on. If followers of Christ would start changing their view and have a biblical worldview, being connected to the power of the Holy Spirit, being in the word of God and being in prayer, it would change everything. It will change everything. You need to start winning the battle on your knees praying. That's that's what it gets down to. People are going to ridicule you. Don't don't get in the mud with them. Because let me tell you something. God wants to pull you out of the miry muck and put you on the rock to stand. Guess what the devil wants to do? Kick you back into the mud. That's, That's what the devil's job is. In verse 6, it says, so we built the wall. I love this because what do they do? They're ridiculed, they pray, and what do they do? They get back to the work of the Lord. In verse 6, it says, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height 
For the people had a mind to work. They had a mind to work. So they're, they're, the, the wall is halfway done. They're, they're halfway complete with the work. And they went right back to work. That's something for us to remember. The enemy is going to come when we're doing God's work. Be prepared for it. Be prepared for it. The best thing that you can do is commit to doing God's work again. Pray, give it over to the Lord, and get back to work doing God's work. In verse, verse 7 it says, But when Sambalan and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites, and now he's going to go get friends, right? Now he's going to go get more people. So he gets the Ammonites and the Ashadites and they and heard that they were repairing the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry and they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So now they have brought an army together to come against the work that the Lord is being, the work that uh, Nehemiah and them are doing for God. As they, as they, uh, it says there that the, uh, the walls had been, um, uh, were, the breaches were beginning to be closed. So there were no like big openings. And now the enemy is going to surround them. And they have to understand at this point the battle begins. In Mark chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, it says, And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you done with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, what this is, and I, I, to, to lead up to that, it's actually when the, uh, Jesus comes and they're, they're faced with that demon-possessed man. And, and you may remember it because he, he cast them out. And they run into the pigs, right? And the pigs run all into the water. Now, a legion was actually Roman terms would be 6,000 soldiers. So this would have been thousands of demons in this one man. Thousands of demons. Remember we said that the, the battle is not that we see. The battle is going on between good and evil that we don't see. And we see in Matthew chapter 26, verses 51 through 53, and it says, Behold, one of these who were with Jesus stretched out his hands and, and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Who was the guy? That was Peter. He cut the ear off, right? And then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in your, into its place, for all who take the sword will perish with the, by the sword. Do, uh, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he would... Uh, he will uh, at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. A legion being 6,000, and, and Jesus is talking about 72,000 angels at his disposal, right? And so this battle is happening around us. And, and just think about it. In 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, one angel killed 185,000 Babylonians. And, it, and that's why it says in Ephesians six twelve, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, even in the heavenly places. It's a battle that's happening around us. But what does Nehemiah do? In verse 9, and we prayed to our God and set 
guard as protection against them day and night. So not only does he pray, but he goes into action. So Nehemiah not only says, hey, you know what? We're going to pray. We're going to give this over to God, but we're going to go ahead and set things in place to protect everybody. Now, I have this wonderful quote from this Marine general who said uh, at one time, he goes, our enemy is in front of us, behind us, flanked us on both sides. We're outnumbered 29 to 1, but they cannot get away from us now. And that's how we should be. That's kind of how Nehemiah is saying. He's like, look, the enemy's surrounding us. They're in front of us. They're behind us. But you know what? We have them right where we need them to be because God is going to come. God is going to come. And Nehemiah was able to stay awake because they, they were aware of the dangerous situation. He's been in this before. He's been, he's been with Artaxerxes. He would have seen this type of stuff before. He would have known how the enemy would try to attack the city. But what he does is he prays. He prays. And that's something that we should be doing. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 40 and 41, it says, And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping, this is Jesus. And he said to Peter, so you cannot watch me, watch with me one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And I'm afraid that's where a lot of Christians are right now. You're asleep. And it's time for you to wake up. Verse 10 says, and in Judah, it was said that the strength of those who bear the, uh, the burden is failing. Then there is too much rubble bars uh, by ourselves. And we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So what happens? They're discouraged now. Chatter is happening. There are people surrounding us. They're coming to kill us. And that chatter starts to happen. And people get... They, they want to leave. They want to stop doing God's work. They get scared. And that, that, that does happen. In 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 17, verse 11, it says, And when Saul and all the Israel, Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were dismayed because they saw Goliath. Right? And you know what? Most Christians, this is where most Christians are. You're walking by sight, not by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. But see, the Israelites were doing that with Goliath. They, they saw how big he was. And they were like, there's no way we could defeat him. Same thing here. They, 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 they are hearing all the stuff that's going on. The, the people that are coming to attack. And they get discouraged. And, and they get dismayed. And, 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 it, and they're, they're seeing it. But their faith is out the window. We walk by faith, not by sight, right? In verse 11, it says, And our enemies said that they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived there near them, they, they them, lived near them, came from all directions, said to us, ten times you must return to us. They're telling them, come out of the city because they're going to come kill you. And Nehemiah's like, no, we're not doing that. That's a scare tactic. He, that, you know, we, we, we don't do that because we're doing what God has called us to do. God has us and is going to take care of us. And some, some fears are no fears at all. Right? 
Most worrying is about things that never come to pass. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 8, it says, And the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Is there a man who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house, lest he make the heart of fellows melt like his own. He's telling you, look, if you're going to be cowardly, you're not going to be in the army of Israel. We, we can't have you. We're sending you home because that stuff, it infects a church. Fear. You need to be bold right now. You need to be bold. The enemy is being bold. And you need to be bold right now. No matter what battle that you're going through, no matter what disability, no matter what crippling pain or migraine or cancer or, or whatever it is, some heartbreak, God never called you to live in Disneyland. You're at war. We're in a battle. But we have God. We have God. We have victory. God never told you that you wouldn't hear the word terminal. He never told you that. He never said that you're going to live a long life. He's saying, serve me today. Don't be no armchair Sunday, sitting in the, sitting in the seat, getting up and going Christian. We need to be standing up and, and living for God. Because that's what fear does. Fear keeps us from moving forward. We have faith. We have to have faith in God. It's take one step at a time, one day at a time. Clinging to his word, clinging in prayer and fellowship, standing boldly, boldly. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 13, it says, So in the lowest parts of the space, behind the wall, in open places, I have stationed the people by their clans, with their swords and their spears and their bows. And Nehemiah places everyone in the right place, in the right position. And, and then we see in the final verse here, and we'll close up here, and it says, and I love this because this is what Nehemiah does. He's an encourager. That's what a leader should do. When everything seems like it's going crazy, Nehemiah encourages everybody, right? And he says, and I looked and I arose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Direct your attention to who? God. Towards the Lord. Why? He's great and awesome. He's great and awesome. The greatest of God helps us overcome the fear of man. Fear and faith cannot live together in the same heart. You know what fear does is it allows the enemy, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be so reminded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. 
someone to devour. And sadly, what we see is this is a rally cry for us as Christians. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I, I read that, and every time I read that, I'm, I, it, it, I know that we have a problem in this country. I, I can see it. But you know where the problem begins? At home. At home. Instead of dealing with the problem, pointing fingers about who's right, who's wrong, who did this, who did that. How about we start dealing with the problem at home? How about you, Dad? Starting with you, Dad. Start living your life as a follower of Christ and stop playing around. It starts with you. It's your sword. The Word of God. It, it, it should be something that, that, that you should admonish and wash your wife with and your kids with. It, it, it's been proven. I mean, my wife showed me a study this week that they gave an example of people, our kids who attend regular church services every Sunday. They're, they're, they're less likely to do drugs, to do weed, to, to drink, to vape. They're less likely to have sex at a young age. And, 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 and also, when, when you see them not go to church, that number doubles. Suicides, depression, all of that. Church, being in God's word and attending church and fellowship is something that your family needs. And, and unfortunately, a lot of y'all have gotten to the point where you have disappeared from the church and you need to come back. Online church, I, I understand it, but you need to come back to church. You need fellowship. You're forsaking. You need that. You're forsaking it. You need that fellowship. You need to start fighting for your, your, your families. You need to start fighting for your families. Godly marriages. A godly father, a godly wife, a mom and a dad living for the Lord will impact the children. It will impact the children. And set them up to be the next generation to follow Christ and be bold, to have a biblical worldview, to look at the life every day through the scripture. What am I doing? Looking through the scriptures, not looking to the culture to try to satisfy me. I look to God and what I'm going to do every day. That's what we need to be doing. And so that's what Joshua says. He, he tells you, do not be afraid of them, even though they're surrounding you and they're threatening to kill you. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome. Your marriage is on the rocks. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome. You're suffering through anxiety attacks. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome. You're sick. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome. Re regardless of what it is, fight. Fight. 
Don't be somebody who just attends church on Sunday and, and never has their life transformed. I'll end this and we'll, we'll pray. We need, you know, I, there are a lot of things going on in this world that are wrong. And, and we see evil just as sad, the, the way that it's being portrayed. But we have to make a decision in the church to start being bold for the Lord the way Nehemiah was bold. To pray, to be in the Word, connected to the Holy Spirit, and start fighting for our houses. Because let me tell you something. That enemy we talked about, remember those legions of, of, of demonic devils? Of, the, of His angels? They're fighting for your kids right now. They're fighting to destroy your marriage right now. They're not going to be settled until the divorce happens. They're not going to be settled until your kid commits suicide. They're not going to be settled until they steal, kill, and destroy. And you have to start fighting. We want to change the direction of this country. It starts with the person in the mirror. And, and I'm sorry, but dads, I'm always harder on you because you are the pastors of the home. Start acting like it. Find your sword wherever. You maybe misplaced it. Sharpen it. Use it. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, we know the verse very well. It says, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve. Today, who are you going to serve? But he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you that we were able to get through all 14 verses. I pray that there is somebody that is watching this that needs to start to fight for their family, for their marriages, for their community. Christians, be bold and stand up in faith and live for Christ. Have a biblical worldview where we take the scriptures and allow that to be the lens of our life. That we live out the word of God. That we stop looking to the culture and the world to conform us. But we look to the word of God that will transform us. And we would understand the will of God. I pray, you know, this is a, a, a great scripture. Nehemiah was bold for the Lord. We need more leaders like Nehemiah in the church. We need more leaders like Nehemiah in the Congress. We need more leaders like Nehemiah in, in, the, in the White House. But it starts with you starts with the person in the mirror. I pray that if you are not fighting for your family, let me tell you something, the devil is the devil is, is fighting to destroy your marriage. The devil is fighting to destroy your, your kids' lives and your life. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's real. But we have Jesus Christ. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. 
Whatever you're going through today, find strength in God. Find strength in God's Word. Find strength through prayer. Find strength through fellowship. It, the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for a fresh one in the Holy Spirit, not only in my life, but my wife. We pray that for whoever watches this. And Lord, we, we know that's the enemy right now trying to talk. So we, we just come before you. We thank you for today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm sorry we went a little long today. We had a lot to cover. But uh, Sunday, the dove, the desert, the devil. We're going to talk about the temptation a little bit more and what people go through. And so I, I pray that you, you take time and, and, uh, and, and join us on Sunday. I would love for you to be here. Uh, I would love for you to be here. You can get all the information on the church at, uh, at calvarydivine.org. I hope you have a blessed Wednesday and a blessed week. And, and remember, the Lord is great and awesome. He, he's there for you, okay? He's there for you. And we need to learn the language of what? Grace. Not the language of the devil, which is ridicule, despising, and mocking people. Stop doing that. Put your phone away. Take a break from it. God bless y'all. I hope you have a wonderful evening. I, I, I just thank you. Thank y'all so much. God bless. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.